transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. And welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm here with Manny. How's it going, man? It's good, man. Had a good Christmas. How's yours been? It's been all right. You got uh, quite a nice present in the form of a new co-owner. I think I got probably the best present any football fan could have received, bar probably Mbappe signing. <laughs> yeah, outside of Mbappe. Yeah. I mean, so Sir Jim Radcliffe, the, the headline is that he's taking over 25% of the club mm-hmm. and allegedly, reportedly, yep. taking control of footballing matters. What's your faith that the Glazers will allow him to do that and uh, how are you feeling about that? Um, I've got faith, um, mainly because you got to give it to them. The Glazers are actually very, very good businessmen. Um, they've how I see Manchester United, they're two, essentially two entities. You've got the sports company, which is commercially run amazingly, year on year, revenue increases, um, brand partnerships, sponsorship deals, and it, it's, it's been amazing off the field. And then you've got the actual football club that unfortunately doesn't really have that much of an impact on how well the sports company does. And the backlash that Glazers have always had is... The sporting side of, of, of the way the club is run is just not good enough. So what they've done is actually a masterstroke is we still get to run the sports side and the commercial side of the business. All of the football stuff, all the issues that the fan have. So, Jim, that's your problem now. No one can actually come to us and have a go about, you know, not getting to Champions League or not challenging for the league title anymore. So for them, it's perfect. And I actually think it works in their favour to just focus on the commercial side because that's all the real reason why they're at the United Club. Um, and I just hope and pray that Sir Jim can can turn the footballing side into a powerhouse again. Um, there's going to be a lot of optimism, a lot of hope with most things when something new comes in. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hold hold any reservation until we start seeing the right appointments being made because unfortunately we've had too many failed promises, you know, as as fans when it comes to United. So um, yeah, I'll, I'd like to see them come in. Steady the ship. I don't want immediate changes the way it happened at Chelsea. I think there should be a period of them really evaluating the staff, the players, management, um, looking at recruitment, looking at how the academy works, the women's team, the infrastructure of the club, and then start making plans You know, towards the, the end of the season. For me, that would be better leadership than coming in and tearing everything down straight away. Yeah. Do you think that the the Glazers just want to hold on to their stake because they think it's going to keep going up? They think there's going to be a Super League or some sort of, you know, live golf PGA Tour mm-hmm. deal where they end up having an even more valuable property. And as you say, now they can just push off all of the, you know, gripes about the football to somebody else. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, because the football side hasn't really had much of an impact on the commercial aspect of the club... If the football does get better, it would only mean more money for them in the long run anyway. So it's kind of like a win-win situation. The Super League, you know, is something that as much as we try to beat it away, it keeps rearing its head and it's going to keep coming back until it's at a point where all the footballing bodies are in agreement. Um, I think, unfortunately, with the Super League and the different formats we've seen so far, it only really benefits 
the clubs. It hasn't benefited FIFA, hasn't benefited FA or, or UEFA. Or once you get those those guys on board, I think it'd be very very easy and a very quick transition to then even potentially replacing the Champions League to a new Super League. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's there's little risk in it for them. They're all going to be pocketing more money from the investment for, from Sir Jim. They get to stay on board. They still get to you know, reap the benefits of, of, of a global super club. So, um, yeah, we just we just hope they, they keep their hands out of the footballing matters. Yeah, I'm personally hoping the Premier League teams stand strong uh, against this new proposal. You know, the, the argument I keep hearing is that FIFA and UEFA are no good. Mm-hmm. Why don't I want competition? Um, I just don't see how handing things over to some company called A22 Sports which was formed specifically and only to get the, the Super League off the ground and will presumably say whatever they deem necessary to get it off the ground. Mm-hmm. I, th- I would rather try and reform the game through the existing legislative bodies, whatever gripes we might have with them, than try and blow it up and turn it into this enterprise where I guess Real Madrid and Barcelona get to call the shots. That's the, that's the impression I get from the early plans. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, you don't want our beloved sport to become like every other industry that you see maybe within Hollywood or within the music industry where it's two or three executives that are running the whole industry. We don't want that to be a case where, you know, two or three clubs are now running football. You know, we still want it to be a democracy. We still want it to go through the right channels, the right bodies, still have the opportunity for grassroots and the lower league teams to have that dream of, you know, getting to the to the summit and, and to the heights of, of world football. You know, that's that's the big appeal of the FA Cup and why the FA Cup will always be, you know, something that's close to football hearts because you can see literally a Tranmere Rovers or, you know, a Harrogate that's in non-league football making it, you know, and playing against against United or Arsenal in like the third or fourth or fifth round. So <clears throat> yeah, we, we, we need to keep an eye on that, but I definitely don't think it's going away. Um, and I think Unfortunately, with everything else with the world is with money, things can change very easily, very quickly. Um, but I just think the fans have to put the pressure. The clubs need to hold strong. Um, and it may need the players as well to start speaking out about it. Yeah, I just like the rhythm of the game as it is. You know, I was saying that last week that, you know, it's it's nice that you play Brentford or West Ham mm-hmm or whoever, and then on rare occasions you get to go down to Torino to play Juventus, or you get a trip to Milan and the San Siro, and it's this special thing. I I think, you know, as you say, it's all about money, people putting their hands out, more matches between Real Madrid and Barcelona and Milan and Mm -hmm. Manchester United and Liverpool. But does it ends up devaluing those matches a bit if it's an all-the-time thing? The whole point is that it's a special treat where you get to go play Bayern Munich and probably get the shit kicked out of you. <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. more fun that way. I, I don't need to see these games every week. And I think, you know, the changes to the Champions League I'm not thrilled with because I fear that that's going to be the case with this new Swiss-style format, this mm. round robin, as we would call it in, in America. Mm. I don't need to play Bayern Munich every year, especially what's happened to Arsenal against mm. Bayern Munich <laughs> in this competition. I don't need to see that all the time. Yeah. Um, and... Maybe that should be the focus is revamping the Champions League to, you know, a, a more elite competition. The the recent changes don't make it more fun. The more teams, the more games. It's it's moving away from being an elite competition and it's just more about 
how many more elite matches can we show on TV and can we all make revenue from? Um, we're, just, we're losing so much essence in the game and we're seeing it even in the type of football that we're seeing. It's so rudimental. It's so, you know, based on stats, based on, you know, who can run the fastest. You know, we've mentioned this so many times, you know, on, on the match report. We're losing the, the thing that made us enjoy football as kids and just watching you know, geniuses and, and do things out, out of nowhere. Everything is becoming too calculated. Um, and yeah, it's just become, I was even hearing them doing like a Super Bowl style um, show for the Champions League final or, or the Super League final. It's just like, we don't want to be seeing, you know, H or Central C singing before, you know, a Barcelona Bayern Munich final. Like that's, that's just not what football's about. It works in, a, in you know, in the Super Bowl, but it, it doesn't, I don't know, man. It's not for me. Yeah, there's definitely an American-style um, plan, I think, that they have going, where it would be sort of like the NFL, mm. um, a set. I think that's their dream, especially Real Madrid, is sort of a, a set higher echelon of um, elite teams where the, the competitive element is diminished, I think. And, the, you know, as I said, the, the specialness mm. of each match, I think, is diminished. But... We had a good, uh, you know, good example of what league football still has to offer, especially Premier League football, mm -hmm. with the last match on Boxing Day on Tuesday, yeah, uh, in which your Manchester United gave you a second present <laughs> in a week, coming back to beat Aston Villa. How were you feeling in the first half, however? <laughs> you know what? It was almost like you get that first, you open that first Christmas present, and you get the the typical socks and links and, you know, body spray. And then the next present is a PS5. Like, it was... We literally went from just plain old, boring, standard United, and it just turned into United of old. Like, the emotion, the passion, the goals, the football was a constant threat. Um, Rashford looked like the Rashford of old again. Um, Fernandez was finding space and picking out passes. Johnny Evans looked like Prime Vidic. Like, it just, it was a joy to watch, you know. Um, but as great as it was and as great as a feeling is with a comeback win like that, it's still concerning that it's almost emotion gets us over the line in games rather than the style of play or the patterns of play or just the quality of our players. It's, you know, when when we just let our emotions run wild, we, we seem to look like a good, like a good side. Um, and if it's not there, you know, we look mid table. Yeah. I do think we were robbed of one of the possible memes of the season with, uh, Leon Bailey whispering in, <laughs> in Andre Onana's ear before the first one. I mean, the, the photos are still amazing of that, uh, <laughs> along with everybody speculating as to what he was, he was saying what exactly it. he was whispering in his ear. Um, but what were you thinking, you know, as you saw those two, you know, it looked like Villa had spent the week working on set pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, although I think that they, they played fairly well in, in the first half as well, but it was really those clever set pieces and, and taking advantage of, you know, some pretty woeful defending from, from United in those situations. I mean, were you tearing your hair out on that? Yeah, and, and those are the worst goals to concede because it's mainly just down to concentration and picking up your man. And having Varane and Evans, who's, you know, vastly experienced centre-backs, to, to concede to, you know, two set pieces like that, 
it was it was poor. Um, and Villa, they normally score more from from open play. Uh, I think they got one of the highest stats of goals from open play in the league. Um, and they just seemed to be playing in second gear that first half. It, it didn't seem like they needed to really step it up that much to to turn us over. Um, but you know, with with us coming out in the in, in the second half, there were periods in the first half that I thought if we continue playing like this, we could we could get a chance. Um, we had a couple opportunities with Rashford, and I think a better decision making from our forwards would have created better opportunities for us. Um, but it, it, yeah, it just was a lack of leadership, a, a lack of discipline, um, and very quickly you're two 0 down, and yeah, it, it just was a mountain to to come over, uh, but we managed to do it. Yeah, I do think it's worth mentioning um, Den Donker's flick for the second goal was mm-hmm. pretty masterful, I thought, in his mm-hmm. reactions. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that's a training ground move yeah. where they send the center back to the back post and he's putting it back in the in the danger zone in the six-yard box, but still his reactions to flick it so quick were mm-hmm. impressive. And I thought John McGinn was once again very good in this game, even in the second half when, when United really were piling on the pressure. Mm-hmm. I remember he received the ball uh, somewhere in midfield with, the defender hanging all over, two defenders coming from, from uh, one on his back, one coming towards him, and he took this double touch to protect the ball and then turn away and send them around the other side. Yeah, um, I think he's, you know, as we've discussed before, has been one of the best midfielders in the league. Yeah, for sure. This season, um, sure. and you know, after a few spells where I think you're right, in amongst some largely turgid, you know, Manchester United football in the first half, where it's more of that. You know, they signed a, a ball-playing play, goalkeeper, so they seem determined to have the keeper on the ball for half the yeah. match. <laughs> you know, passing back and forth between the center backs and that triangle and, and with Onana. But once they, as you're right, once they sort of woke up at 2-0 down and their pride kicked in and mm-hmm. the, there was some fire, they started, I think, playing how they should have from the beginning, which yeah. is, you know breaking out quickly through Bruno Fernandes. That's always been mm-hmm. the way that they score goals. And, you know, you had Garnacho running in behind and suddenly there was a huge amount of threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that formula has worked since, you know, Fernandes assigned on the Oli is put him in that number 10 position and just give him runners. Unfortunately, uh, Anthony, that's been playing so much football, he doesn't run in behind. He likes to ball into feet and then he drives with it and looks for a pass or a shot. Rashford's been off form. Uh, Martial, he likes the ball to feet. Um, we haven't had a lot of options and a lot of runners. And, you know, just go back to the basics of, of there's not many weapons United have as a squad. And that's, you know, the, the number one. We need to be playing to that more often. Um, and I understand Ten Hag probably wanted to change things up and have a bit more of a varied style of play. But it, ha- it hasn't worked. Um, I don't know if it's because we don't have the players for it. But... Yeah, uh, Fernandez, Rashford, Garnacho, right wing, looks like you know why is he not been playing there for all this you know, all this time? It's it's an option to have him and Rashford running into you know running into space and behind, um, and I I prefer having a a right footed right winger or left footed left winger at least on one of the wings to give those crosses into your centre but your 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 centre forward, you know having both inverted wingers just means that you're either waiting for a cutback or for both of them to, to cut in and shoot. Um, so it was good that a few dangerous balls were coming in for, for Hodgland. Um, I thought he looked a bit shaky first half. Um, his touch in and around the box wasn't great, but that's mainly down to confidence. 
but you know it was it was amazing for all the people to for you know, for the one person to get the winner i'm happy it was him yeah i think you know i if i was a united fan i would not want to see anthony playing no ever but especially in a match like this where you need to get i mean Arsenal drove me crazy against Villa as well. I don't know why more teams aren't running in behind, mm. especially, you know, deep runners. I think you can carve them open, especially, you know, I saw, I remember, I remember a North London derby when, when Clement Langley, mm. the center back, uh, showed up for Spurs, and I was like, oh, we're going to win this game. <laughs> and whenever I see that guy Langley, I, I think that, you know, his team can be got at. Mm. And I thought that was the case again in the second half here. I thought Villa kind of fell apart in terms of their patterns of play. Yeah. And you can run all over them if, you know, you get somebody running from a bit deeper, which sometimes Garnacho will come into the hole and then spin out. And I think that's what you need to do. And suddenly, I mean, it seemed like every, every other possession, United were running in behind and creating those chances. But it was, yeah, as you say, in the end, a bit of a scruffy effort from Hoyland, but, mm. uh, you know, a tremendous thing for him personally. Yeah. Um, we'll have to see if it sticks, but I think you're right. that the, the team needs to be organized around, you know, feeding him. Mm. And if he's not going to run in behind, then you need other people running in behind, and then he can maybe drag his feet a little bit at the top of the box, mm -hmm. at the penalty spot, wait there for somebody to cut it back or put it on his head. And, you know, it might not always be pretty, but I think this might be the way forward if United want to at least be in Europe next season. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's very young. He's raw. Um, you can see the potential there. Uh, and unfortunately, with not having another recognised striker that is on form, uh, always consistent in being fit, um, unlike Martial, it, it just means a lot more pressure on him. You know, he's, he's someone that you'd want to be able to take in and out of the side and kind of coast his way into into Premier League football, into into the English game. Um, but he's been thrust there and, you know, it's it's a lot of pressure uh, and I'm, I'm happy he hasn't crumbled. But, yeah, United having some of the players come back was good to see Ericsson back. Um, a bit more composure in the midfield and, and getting on the ball. But he was rusty, as, as expected, being out for a while. Um, but a big, a big plus and... You know, we, we mocked the signing when we signed Johnny Evans, but I can't really think of a time he's put a foot wrong when he's played for us. It's just a very underwhelming signing and, and name on a team sheet that you see, but performance-wise, he's done well for us. His positioning is, is pretty good still. Yeah. Um, and it shows the value of that. I mean, that's why I think Varane should be playing. He, you know, it's not just Harry Maguire makes a mistake. I'm not sure his positioning is quite as good as even Johnny Evans. Uh, but, you know, looking at this result, which, you know, it certainly wasn't easy by <laughs> any means. Um, and my reaction to it, I, I did a little post on it, was, you know, is this a redemption, the beginning of the redemption arc for Eric Ten Hag, or is it more of a temporary reprieve? Because there's a lot of talk about the changes that Sir Jim Radcliffe is going to make at you know, maybe executive level. I think there's a new footballing executive in mm -hmm. who's got a, a back background in, in British cycling, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Um, obviously, those changes are going to happen. The recruitment changes to the strategy and the staff. Do you think the manager will end up being one of those changes or do you, do you see a, a path back through results like this one? I think results will always help. Um, they will always help. Um, and like I said at the beginning of the show, I, I'd like to see a proper audit being done 
um, if as a as an institution, as a, as, a, as a club and infrastructure, we feel that we want to play a certain way for the next five, six years, and we've got the personnel of the players and, and with the right recruitment, we want to head into a certain direction and we feel that the manager is not, doesn't meet that standard or that requirement and he needs to go, he needs to go. If they believe that he's the right man to take us into the next era, then, you know, essentially I'm going to take my lead from, from what they decide. I'd rather take it from, you know, so say Jim and, and um, Brailsford and, and whoever we bring in as a sporting director than the Glazers. You know, I, I feel a lot of the time they kind of just gave blank checkbooks to whoever was manager and just told them run the club and run the football side as best as you can. You're not really going to get any assistance from us or any, you know, <laughs> any guidance. Um, which is why I also do feel that some of the some of the some of the complaints you know raised at the Glazers has been a bit unfair because most managers have all been backed. You know, it, they weren't given you know strict strict uh, budgets. You know, all given hundreds of millions to spend. Granted, they wasn't able to offload a lot of the previous players and the previous uh, investments, which is probably a, a commercial thing again. Um, but I think if Ten Hag has his players back, if, if we have a closer, fully fit squad, he does have the credentials to be, you know, a top manager and take us and take us into into that new era. Um, last season performance, I think, gives him that. Uh, I just think that he's found that this season some of the players he just can't rely on. Um, especially the ones that he personally has recommended, Anthony, Amrabat, um, Malassia, you know, there's question marks or not, there's big question marks on, on Mount and Casemiro's future as well. So um, it, it would be nice to see someone else kind of take the lead and take the reins and maybe hold the manager accountable to some of the signings and, and some of the things he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, it has been an issue of spending money and it's, it's sort of like that era... You know, where Arsenal are signing up Nicola Pepe mm. for seventy-two million plus, I'm sure, extravagant wages. And I actually, I think that's an underrated part of the Manchester United problem: are these wages that they're paying? Yeah. I mean, you like if you you can like Casemiro or hate him, but he ain't going nowhere. I don't <laughs> think because nobody else is going to pay that three hundred fifty k, and he's not going to take a you know, William, another terrible Arsenal signing who was on insane money actually did basically cut up his contract, as I understand it. Yeah. Maybe he got a partial payout. I think that's so rare. And th that's what that's the problem with signing a 29-year-old or 30-year-old player as Arsenal were doing in that dark age mm -hmm. and where United still are. You can't shift these guys if they go off a cliff. No. And if, if indeed Casemiro's gone off a cliff, I mean... That's he's your he's your holding midfielder he's, for a while. I think. Yeah, he's there. He's there. To, you know, for the for the long for the remainder of his contract. I think the only viable option is going to be Saudi, um, but he's he's a big enough name that I think will be attractive for the Saudi league, and they can pay his wages. Um, and it's just I think a lot of the decision will be down to the player himself. You know, um, I think Kobe Mainu is steadily becoming a first a first name in that team sheet for us, and it will be interesting to see how who he plays with, um, or if Ten Hag drops him out and, and once Mount and Casemiro are both fit, is that going to be the starting set, you know, holding midfielders for us? Um, but yeah, Casemiro, and it was arguable that Varane as well doesn't have the longevity and we're going to need to replace him pretty soon, uh, probably in, in, in the summer. And there's reports of us looking at a centre-back and a striker in January already. So 
yeah, it's just yeah, it's poor long term um, recruitment and poor long term planning from United. And it's been like that for five six years. Yeah, would have been interesting to see what happened with the manager had they lost here. You know, I was previewing this game saying you know Unai Emery could be the executioner mm. here to put to put Eric Ten Hag out of his misery, but it's not the way it went. He lives to fight another day, and as someone who doesn't want to see United succeed too much. I'm not that upset. <laughs> Maybe I'll be proven wrong. We're going to get to a, a team where I was very much proven wrong so far this season. But first, we should stick with, you know, a team that I uh, dovetails with United a little bit mm. um, in Nottingham Forest, who dismantled Newcastle mm-hmm. in the end through a Chris Wood hat trick. But a big player here is Anthony Alanga. And we've talked about before how this feels like the United's transfer issues in a nutshell, where mm-hmm. they sign a hundred million winger who they could have gotten for like 30 in the beginning of the season or whatever, mm-hmm. and got rid of for, I think 15, they got rid of Alango. Anthony Alango, yeah. who is a premier league player. He's, he's looking like a premier league, premier league player to me. Yeah, definitely. And you did see glimpses of it while he was at United. He was frustrating. I don't think there would be many United fans that were unhappy to see him leave. But having that, that, you know, that foresight and long-term planning, he deserved at least a season-long loan to a premiership side, seeing how he does and then come back. Like you saw the, the fruits of that for Lingard when he went out on loan, you know, cleverly back in the day, you know, Welbeck. There's so many United players have gone out and, you know, blood their teeth in, in, in Premier League sides before we made that final decision on them. And it was just very rash decision-making at the end of the day, as, as poorly as he may have played in, in patches for United, he's 21 and was a Swedish international. And he had attributes that was very, very useful. His, his speed, um, both footed, he's got great running power. It, you know, he just needed to work on his end product. And you know, with young players, that can switch just like that. And you're seeing someone that's been given a confidence in a side that plays to his strengths. Um, and, and he's flourishing and he's, he's outperforming all the mingers that we've had this season. Yeah, I mean, the fir- I remember the first match, the opening match of the season, Forrest came to the Emirates and I think Alanga came on on mm-hmm. 65 minutes or whatever it was and he tore Arsenal apart yeah. a couple times with his pace and his decision-making once he gets in the final third is not bad at all. Yeah. Um, I, I like Forrest. I think that they have quite a few... Decent players. I think Morgan Gibbs-White is growing into a decent number 10 in the Premier League. And I guess Chris Wood, I mean, new manager, he's got a new lease on life, goes back to his old club mm-hmm. in in Newcastle and really does a number on them. I mean, it, it was an impressive hat-trick. It was an impressive hat-trick. And it was goals that he scored that I, I didn't know he had the ability to score. You know, that's uh, I'm doing a bit of discredit there. But, you know, I just saw him as a target man, hold-up player, um, and, you know, dangerous in the air. But, you know, some, some great runs in behind, going around the keeper, um, some really good finishes as well. And it was, it was a shock result, but the performance from Forrest deserved nothing more than, you know, nothing less, sorry, than, than, than the, the 3-1, 3-1 win. And, and Newcastle were poor, and they seem to have dropped in form recently, um, which is surprising because some of their players have started to come back. You know, you're expecting... The reversal of that. Yes, Fed Botman, I think, is coming back, and you know they're getting their their defense back together. But they don't look 
right. Mm. And I don't know if it's Nick Pope missing, um, but I also thought this was a very good day for Nuno Espirito Santo, mm. who, you know, I think Steve Cooper was maybe hard done by when he was unceremoniously dismissed by the Forest owner, who is, is you know, no, notoriously a, a fiery guy. Mm. Um, but I think you saw, you know, you mentioned Chris Wood running in behind, and it's sort of, you know, it's an illustration of, I think, the, the extra tactical uh, yeah. intelligence that Nuno brings to this, where really what allows Chris Wood, who has no pace, to run in behind is the threat that the two wide men and their pace is creating. And I, I could see, I think, that they'd been working that on that in training where they're like, Anthony Langa, you are going to scare the shit out of uh, Livramento uh, on, the far, on the near side of the pitch. Mm. And as you stretch him out just a little bit and he takes a step back because he fears your pace, Chris Wood's going to spin in behind on the other side of the field yeah. and get in behind the defense, even though nobody expects that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought it was very clever the way they did it um but they also i think caught newcastle at a very good time i think even you know kieran trippier is in some poor form they're missing the keeper dubravka is not the keeper that i remember uh who was i i thought one of the best shot stoppers in the premier league when he was when he was last the number one yeah um and they're in trouble i mean newcastle are in some trouble they've slid they're not in the top four picture they're they're out of the picture i think Yeah, but the only caveat I have to say is the table can change very quickly with three or four games. Um, and I think their quality will will mean that they will always probably still challenge for the top four. Um, I think they will miss out for sure, but I think they they do have a chance. Um, and you're seeing some, some poor form and some poor results as well from Villa. Um, and you'll see them quite, quite quickly start, start dropping down as well. Um, so I, I think, and, and and a big game coming up um, over the weekend will be sorry on Thursday is going to be the the Arsenal West Ham game and West Ham are a side under ascendancy um, and they could switch places very quickly with 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 Newcastle, um, <clears throat> but yeah it, it's looking it's looking difficult for them um, something that, that their key players are not on form uh, and that's what you need Anthony Gorner's not has been as prolific or as as threatening in recent games. Isak won the penalty um, and, and dispatched it brilliantly, um, but they don't look as threatening um, as they have looked. Uh, Joe Linton, I'm not sure if he played in the game, but Joe Linton, Almiron, um, they just haven't been as as on it recently. Yeah, I think Joe Linton came on for maybe the last half hour, 20, 25 minutes, but... Yeah, they, they don't look as explosive and as athletic, and I think that's the biggest strength that they have. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I say with such confidence that I think they're out of the picture is their fixture list, okay. which is ferocious coming up. Mm-hmm. They have Liverpool away, Man City home, Villa away, Luton at home, which you'd expect them to win, and then they start to get in some easier fixtures, Forest, Bournemouth, and then they have to go to Arsenal. Um, but, I th- you know, three games from now they could be in much worse shape. Yeah. Although with this league, you never really know. Yeah. They, they could rattle off a win against City, the way things have been going. Yeah. Or even against... Are they playing Liverpool away? Or is that uh, St. James's Park? They're at Anfield, okay. so yeah. that's going to be tough. very difficult. That's going to be very yeah. tough. Well, we'll have to see, because I've been plenty wrong this season, <laughs> including 
uh, <laughs> with Bournemouth uh, Football Club, mm. uh, Association Football Club, which I have been banging the drum all season that they're going down. <laughs> I think Lu- I, I still believe that Luton are going to survive yeah. over Bournemouth because I think they just have such a weak squad. Mm. But, you know, I've been saying that I don't see it with Andoni Iraola as the coach. I have been proven wrong. They, I mean, he is getting more than the sum of its parts out of this team, it has to be said. You know what? They're a nice surprise this season. They're a very nice surprise. Um, and he's bought well. Um, you know, I, I didn't actually realise until, I think a few games ago, that they bought Sincetra from Leeds. Um, he scored a great goal. Clivert's now growing in, into, into the league a bit more as well. Um, Dominic Solanke is, is a player that I feel is on the cusp. Um, yeah, I, I like in him and and uh, Morgan uh, Gibbs White as well. I feel like two players that, with another good season, they should be looking at you know a top eight club. I think they have that ability, um, and they Solanke was carrying the team. He's always a threat. Um, I saw them tear us apart at Old Trafford. Um, so you know, seeing them do that again uh, against Fulham, who aren't a poor side. Um, Maybe it's not. It wasn't. Wasn't uh, a fluke. I think they do have something there, and, and the manager's getting them playing effective football. Yeah, I, they've won. They've got six wins and a draw from their last seven matches. Bournemouth. I mean, that's incredible. Form. That's pretty incredible. I think you're right to point out Justin Clivert um, and uh, Marcus Tavernier as well. I feel like. They play a pretty fascinating role where there are times where they stay high and wide or at least wait for the fullback to get out of position. That that happened a few times. Mm-hmm. I think Fulham's defense is looking woeful. Yeah. But uh, they also, though, they'll, they'll, they'll stay high and wide, but sometimes they'll drift into that half space inside and, and the little holes between the midfield and defense and between the fullback and the, and the center back and really cause a lot of problems. And I think they did that again here um i think you know i just don't really understand how they're doing so well but i think that's credit to the manager that you know he certainly knows something i do not in terms of how to you know he dropped josh billing who i think is you know what was their player of the season last season or at least is usually among their best um and it's it's working for him on the flip side as i say you know fulham really poor cool. and not just in defense where I think they've always been poor. poor Tim Ream, a proud American who's, who's had a nice career over there. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, even in, in midfield, I thought Paulinho was very poor here. He got beat really easily yeah. by Alex Smith, I think for off the dribble in midfield for the first one, he just got absolutely roasted. Mm-hmm. He of course had a really clumsy challenge to give away the penalty for the second one. It's kind of shocking from a guy who almost went to Bayern Munich a few months ago. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a great point that you've made that I think not just a defense, but across, you know, the midfield and the attack, it looked very disjointed. Um they weren't getting on the ball as well as and, and creating the chances that they normally have. I think Pereira's been off form as well and he was a big part of their creativity being beginning part of the season. Um it seemed like a very lackluster performance from them, especially after the first couple of goals. Um, there didn't seem to be much belief within the Fulham side that they could get back into the game. Um, and, and the performance that Paulina gave is what I expected probably after you know, his transfer broke down. 
um, at Bayern Munich. I was expecting him to drop off form for the first few games until he's got his mind right. And maybe because he's getting closer to January, maybe that deal is is, is in the works again. You don't know. You know, he, his mind could be elsewhere. But it was it was a poor showing, um, and they didn't look like uh, a side that's been in the Premier League for the past few year, couple of years now. Um, they looked like they were the the promoted side and. They just didn't find their feet in the game at all. Yeah, I think Raul Jimenez is a huge loss too. As soon as, you know, in the newsletter I do the FPL picks, some fantasy, uh, a stock market where I say people's stocks are rising or falling, I was like, Raul Jimenez, he's way up. He's back to scoring after a traumatic head injury. It's a great story. Of course, he immediately goes and gets a straight red. (laughs) Three-match man. And without him, they have no focal point at all. I mean, it's, you know, something people always say about this kind of, mid-table team they need a focal point in attack but I think it's true I mean the other strikers in the squad Vinicius and I don't know who else they just don't have that level of hold up play delicate touch to Mm -hmm. yeah no no presence to occupy a defender and you know Raul started scoring goals which is you know not something you often say of Vinicius Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's, you know, they're in more trouble than I expected, especially because I, I think Marco Silva is, is a great manager, but he, it seems like it's just comes in, in waves mm. with him and this team where they can rattle off three or four decent results and then just play really poorly for a few games in a row. Yeah. There are a lot of purple patch teams in the league. Um, and it's a, it's, it's annoying because some of the bigger teams, when they play them, you know, they can be a real slip up for you. But then, you know, you, you'll see them the following week struggle against a side like, like Bournemouth. It wouldn't surprise me now that they have, you know, put in a decent shift against Arsenal when they played them in a week, you know. Um, I think their similar form is, is that of, of Brighton. Brighton that have been off form here and there. And then they'll put in a couple, a couple you know, good results back to back. But yeah, they are in trouble. Um, I, do, I don't think they're in trouble of getting relegated, but... You know, of them having a quite a successful season from the first couple of months to now looking like it's going to be, you know, a 14th, 15th, um, probably finish for them. Yeah. Well, speaking of relegation, that brings us to a proper scrap <laughs> between Sheffield United and Luton Town. And to me, this felt like the kind of result where you know that Sheffield United is going down. Mm. You know, they're hoping for the new manager bounce, the club legend, Chris Wilder, coming back, and they actually have done a bit better since he came back. But you lose a match like this at home, Mm. you are going straight down. And this, I mean, Luton won the match, but on both sides, this this was a championship-looking match. Luton's equalizer at 2-2, that was a championship-ish goal, I'd say. Yeah, and conceding to to so many own goals in in the game, uh, there wasn't much quality in the game as well. It was a real scrappy, scrappy match. And, you know, the side that's been on better form, you know, ended up finishing finishing the finishing line, going across the finishing line and and getting the three points. Um, But there's not much hope. There's not much belief. You can see it in in, in the players. You can see it in, in their style of play. It's very negative. Um, they're not expressive. Um, yeah, I, Sheffield United are going down. I, I can't see a way back. I don't think a club legend is, is going to do it for them. Um, it's you know almost halfway through the season, and I don't know where they're going to get goals from. Um, they're not particularly great at set pieces. 
open play is difficult for them. Um, they haven't really got. Yeah, I just, I just don't see where they can they can pick up points. Um, and defensively, they're leaking goals everywhere. So and comical goals as well. Yeah, I mean Ollie McBurney up front, I've never really rated mm. as a Premier League striker. Very championship feel to him, where he's a you know decent hold up player, doesn't score very many goals. Uh, he took his chance fairly well here, but, uh, you know, James McAtee looks like a decent player driving forward on the dribble from midfield, but there's very little to cheer about. Yeah. I mean, Wes Fodderingham was horrific in goal for the for the opener, where they got roasted by Luton's right back, <laughs> uh, a man named Alfie Dottie, who's just roasting <laughs> Gustavo Hammer out there. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, you get deeper into the game. There's a sort of a freakish own goal from Austin Trusty, mm-hmm. another proud American trying to make his career over there. I'm, I'll try and be easy on <laughs> him. Uh, but the defending uh, from uh, Ahmed Hudzic, I think, who actually scored the, the equalizer. The equalizer, yeah. Or maybe the go-ahead, the 2-1 to go-ahead. But his <clears throat> defending, it comes into Carlton Morris in the box, he gets his body position totally wrong, inviting <laughs> Carlton Morris to spin off of him. And then he's like, oh, now I'm out of position. And he dives over to try and block the cross. And, of course, it's a fake cross. And then he looks like a damn fool. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of thing that's just not going to cut it. Mm. And maybe Luton aren't going to cut it either. But I feel like they have a few more. Like, Carlton Morris versus uh, Ollie McBurney, for instance. I feel like there's a slight quality gap there that makes gives me more confidence than that Luton can do it. Even Albert Sambi Lakanga in midfield mm. has some pedigree, even though he didn't have the best time at Arsenal. There might just be a little bit more there from Luton, whereas Sheffield, it really is a comedy of errors at some at points. Yeah, and I think it's just as simple as they don't have enough quality in the side to win them games, you know. Um, and as, as you can always say that with a better coach or, or, or better better manager, you can you can get a bit more out of your squad, but that can only take you so far. Um, and like you said, with, with Luton, they, they do have a few more players that you think can potentially win a match. Uh, you know, they can get a goal. They can make a, a decent you know, last-ditch challenge. Um, Lokonga's a good player. Um, we spoke about how Barkley has, has a great um, uh, a great influence on the, on the side. Chong is a United you know, product and... and Applied his trade and, and done really well while in in the championship, um, and it's just I, I I don't see them having similar players in the Sheffield United side that you know on on their day could get them get them the three points. Um, I think it's going to be more of another side having a poor day and then them you know capitalizing on a mistake or or getting against a run of play kind of goal um, to to pick up any points. But it, it's going to be really tough for them. Yeah, Luton did at least sign a few players that have played at this level. You know, Andros Townsend, he's not what he once was, maybe, but he, you know, he can do it at this level, or at least he, he did for many years. Um, I, I think that they have a chance. Mm-hmm. I still, you know, Bournemouth are quickly proving me wrong, but I also think that they have a run coming of five or six matches where they can't get a result. I mean, that seems to be the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, Sheffield United. See you later. I, I they didn't pick up many, you know, players with that kind of pedigree, at least of, of performing at this level. And even the manager, it, it feels like an appointment you'd make 
with one eye on, you know, trying to get back out of the championship again next yeah, season. life in the championship. Uh, but at the other yeah. end of things, we might as well touch on uh, the big match of last weekend, even though it's a few days back now, because we took mm-hmm. our Christmas break in between, where Liverpool hosted Arsenal at Anfield, uh, second in the league, hosting one at the time. And it was pretty frantic, pretty fun. I was tearing my hair out looking at Arsenal's the entire left side of Arsenal's team. We can get to mm. that shortly. But <laughs> as a neutral, I mean, what did you take from this? Were Arsenal lucky to come out of there alive? It's a tough one because Anfield is just a different beast, um, regardless of the form. And unfortunately, Liverpool have been on good form. I think United were lucky to get a draw um, there. But I expected a more dominant performance from Arsenal. Um, I think there was some naivety in their defending. Um, you know, Zinchenko is his his weakness is defending, um, and one v one he was always going to lose out against Salah. Uh, I I just feel like Arsenal should have put a bit more pressure uh, offensively on Liverpool to counteract. You know, um, Trent picking up the ball and picking out passes, um, and you know, and allowing you know those balls in, into space that you know Liverpool thrive on. Um, I thought Martinelli did, had a poor game. Um, I don't think he helped covering uh, Zinchenko, and and that's what you expect sometimes. You know, as offensive as a player there is, and as, as much you want to go forward, you need to analyze and manage a game and think. You know what? For the next ten, fifteen minutes, let me just cover my fullback a bit let's get a foothold in the game and then you know we can we can go at them again um it was yeah it, it wasn't great from that point of view and I think Arteta probably should have made some changes earlier than when he did um or even starting Trossard because I think that is a that is a part of Martini's game that he does need to work on is going forward he's amazing um I just think on the other way it's there's, there's things he can improve on in in that regard um, but I thought Saliba was amazing. Uh, I think that game for me has probably confirmed that he's the best centre-back in the league. Um, some of the things that he was doing, the composure, the technical ability to just snuff out danger, drop a shoulder, give it and then go and collect it again. And it, it was great to watch. Um, I think in midfield as well, uh, Rice was, was up against it. Um, it wasn't his best performance. It's probably one of his weaker performances uh, in, a, in the Arsenal shirt this season. But again, I don't think he had much help in the game. Uh, he seemed like a man, you know, on an island on his own. Um, but but he held his own. Yeah, yeah. I think we saw this game. Why, if they were fit, T- Takahiro Tamiyasu or I think Urian Timber yeah. would have played left back mm-hmm. uh, in this match. Tomiyasu usually plays these big matches. He's a much, I mean, he's, I think he's a great one-on-one great, defender. Yeah. And, of course, Zinchenko is the worst one-on-one defender in the squad, <laughs> probably. I mean, I'd probably rather have Martinelli defending one-on-one. <laughs> and, you know, you, if you're going to play Zinchenko, you can't leave him isolated against Mohamed Salah, mm-hmm. who we saw again today is the best player in the league mm. and possibly the best player in the world. I mean, he's in that conversation with Kylian Mbappe. Yeah. And I don't think... Holland is the best player in the league this season. I think it's yeah. easily Mo Salah. Yeah. You, you can't just allow it be, to be one-on-one with Zinchenko. 
And as you say, one way to combat that is to push Liverpool back on that side, which requires Martinelli to put a lot of pressure on Trent uh, and Konate when he came over there mm. and make Salah drop deeper to help out. Or, which Martinelli did not do successfully enough, I thought he had a lot of failed dribbles, mm-hmm. a lot of you know bad decision-making in the final third. Uh, he didn't play as directly uh, as I as I would expect him to. Mm. And then the alternative to that, if you're not going to push them back, is for Martinelli to drop in down the left and help out be- better than he did. But really, we just leave everything up to Declan Rice yeah. to cover from sideline to sideline. And, you know, in one case, he's the only man back. <laughs> he's, you know, we have Zinchenko when I started actually screaming at my television. <laughs> Zinchenko slips on what was a terrible Anfield pitch, which we should mention. And I think that, you know, the cynic in me would say they watered it down extra for this match. Uh, but Zinchenko slips and somehow goes in two-footed on Odegaard at the top of <laughs> their box when we have a corner, and some, somehow it's four-on-one against Declan Rice, mm. and somehow Trent Alexander-Arnold smashes it off the crossbar. Uh, but that was sort of a freak accident, mm. uh, even if it was, I think, the pitch was messed with at yeah. the time, because I, I think that Klopp, the way he was talking ahead of time, made me think that he knows that Arsenal are, are a better team. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that they'll get more points this season. I think Liverpool could get more points than Arsenal. But I think, you know, front to back, um, there are holes in the Liverpool team that there aren't in the Arsenal team. And they needed Anfield. They needed the pitch to be a bit wonky and maybe for Arsenal to be wearing the wrong studs. Mm-hmm. And they needed, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold to play some raking long balls to Mo Salah to get in behind Zinchenko. Mm-hmm. And roast him. And that's basically was the story of the match to me. Yeah, and it looked like that was going to be the only way Liverpool were really going to get a, get, get a, get a result and, and, a, and a goal. Because I thought on the other side, um, Ben White had, had a better of, of, uh, the, you know, of Gakpo and, and, and Diaz when he came on. Um, I, thought, I thought that... The pitch wasn't great, and it probably is something that was purposely done. Um, and you know, we know in in history that that's been done at uh, at Emirates before, uh, not Emirates, at other grounds when Arsenal are playing before. Um, even at Highbury, they used to try and uh, try and you know make the pitch a bit more narrow, just because they didn't want Arsenal to have that free flowing football. You know, so you see a lot of teams set up to just you know cramp cramp the pitch up. Um, but the Liverpool team, it's annoying that they're leading the the league at the moment. But they, there's not there's not that much excitement from them. It's it they seem like their top players have moments where they're getting goals or they're doing something brilliant. I mean, the ball for Salah. I mean, how many other players in the league can make that kind of pass? Um, but yeah. there's like you said, there's so many gaps in the way they play and and in the quality of the side that. They really shouldn't be where they're at. Um, so I'm hoping it just means that over time they, they will fade away, but it doesn't seem to be happening. And, you know, their their home record is, is really is really going to be important for them if they're going to, you know, mount a challenge for the title. Um, but I think any team that goes away with a point at Anfield, it's a good result. Um, you would want a win to, to cement and solidify that 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 stature to say that you know we're here to win the league this season, 
but you know United would go there in you know in our great teams of old and be be delighted of a point away at Arsenal. So I think you know from the two sides, Arsenal should be happier, um, and yeah, as something definitely to build on uh, for the remainder of the season. I mean, I think Arsenal have to be happier after they got the better of that refereeing decision. Mm-hmm. Where I do think that's probably a handball yeah. for Martin Odegaard. I think it's very unfortunate in that he's clearly slipping and trying to regain his balance on, once again, what was a terrible pitch. But, you know, if, the, if it had gone the other way, I would have been incensed mm-hmm. that uh, Arsenal didn't get a penalty for that. Um, and I think it's important to be consistent on that. As much as Arsenal have gotten screwed a couple times, I think Liverpool have gotten screwed a couple times mm. this season. Mm. Um, I think it, when you benefit, it's important to say something. And I do think that was a handball. Um, but, no, I think it's a great point. I think going in, I would have... I was really hoping we could win for the reasons you point out, just as a statement to say we are a Man City kind of team mm. where we go anywhere and we're looking to win. And I think we were looking to win this match. I think Arsenal really did go out and try and win this. I think Liverpool tried to win. Yeah. I mean, as much as I say that there was some tomfoolery, maybe, um, I think Arsenal did their own shithousery towards the end of the first half, you know, some time wasting, yeah. trying to wind people up a little bit. That's how it goes. And I think, you know, as much as Liverpool were doing some of that themselves with the pitch and that, they were really trying to win the game. Yeah. I, I think Jurgen Klopp really wanted to win this match, and it... It made for a lot of fun, yeah. I think. Um, but maybe the, the most important thing to me was seeing Mo Salah, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Bakayo Saka dishing it out a little bit, <laughs> where I think Saka gets fouled more than any player in the world. Maybe, you know, Messi, Ooh, uh, Vinny. he used to get kicked more Vinny than this. probably is uh, close. Eden Hazard used to get kicked a lot. Yeah. He get, used to get kicked a lot. But Saka gets kicked a lot. And, I, you know, from the beginning of this game, uh, Simikas, Costa Simikas was coming through the back of him like everybody always does. You know, you get a knee and your tailbone, it hurts. Mm-hmm. They're kicking your legs when you're trying to turn. And eventually, Saka's like, all right, I'm actually... Yeah, I've had enough. I have a low center of gravity. I'm a strong young kid. And he just shoved him out of bounds. Unfortunately, it ended pretty badly yeah. uh, for Simikas. But I think it's what Saka has to do because he doesn't get protection from the refer- referees. No, he doesn't. And you know what? It's, it's nice to see that um, from... From him um, and from Arsenal as a side, having that that bite, you're gonna need it, you know, to win to win this league because everyone knows to just rough up the Arsenal players a little bit and you normally get a reaction. Um, so I, it was nice to see it, and I think more there's, there's there's more fight it seems in the Arsenal side now. Um, it, it's it's definitely helped with the signings that you've made, um, and I think what happens you know, over the next couple of months with injuries. Is important. Thomas Partey, I've seen he's back in in full training. Um, Timber, I, I'm not sure Timber going to be back at, at this in the season. Maybe in March. Maybe in I March. think in March he might be able to come back. Uh, I mean, he had the worst luck in the world. Yeah. The ACL first match. Yeah. So it, I, th- I think there's just also need to keep their head um, and just remember that their football will win them games. Like that's the main thing is they don't need to get dragged into some of the theatrics that other teams do or you know Arteta needs to keep his keep his head in, in press conferences and just let the football do the talking because you play the best football in the league um, and you know you're you're the hardest to, to break down um, and you've got match winners across the, across the pitch now so 
it was good to have the bite, but yeah, you guys need to just focus on the football now and just don't let, you know, the Anfield theatrics and, and you know, the manner of which you conceded some chances leak into the next few games because, you know, the West Ham game will be a tricky game, even being at home. Yeah, and I think that's where the physicality comes in. I mean, it's not, you know, I always talk about being raised on that 2007-2008 Arsenal Mm-hmm. squad which was the last one before last season that was leading the league at Christmas I believe yeah but that was such a tiny team I mean it was all tiny attacking midfielders who were wonderful to watch but there was no Declan Rice mm-hmm. there was no twin towers of Gabriel and William Saliba mm-hmm. at the back Even we got habits. Ben White at right back who's a big dude mm-hmm. Tommy Asu will come back he's a pretty big dude um, I think we are a different even Gabriel Jesus, I say this all the time, but not a guy that you would want to be, you know, in a fight in a phone booth mm. with. Mm. Uh, so I think that there's, you know, a lot to be excited about. I just think we are missing maybe the clinical goal scorer if our wide forwards are not going to score like they did last season. And so far, Gabriel Martinelli is just not doing it. Mm. I think Saka's had a very good season. Yes. In, in, in terms of just end product, he just gets goals and assists, whether people like his, his dribbling and, and that side of his game as much this season. But if Gabriel Martinelli doesn't start scoring, you know, Jesus needs to score 15, 20 goals. Yeah. Or Trossard needs to play more, and he needs to score the goals. Like, we need that, and we need, maybe need an alternative to Havertz in midfield to progress the ball a little with a little more, you know, uh, Havertz is not really a progressive ball player. He doesn't really find people ahead of him as much. Mm. So there's still some tactical things to, to sort out, and I would love a signing next month. But you're right. We, we do play some decent stuff, and the biggest thing is that we're very hard to score against. Yeah. And that, that's the, you know, it's crazy that we already, I don't know if you saw this stat this week, that Arsenal-Liverpool have already lost out on the chance to better the uh, goals conceded record in the Premier League, which was 2004. 2005 or maybe the next season mm. of Chelsea mm. under Jose Mourinho mm. who they conceded 15 goals for the entire season. season yeah yeah insane Incredible. so we're not gonna be there but we, <laughs> we are hard to break down yeah and and you've got the physical prowess that you didn't have like you said before um, and you've got a great unit and everyone understands positionally where they need to be um, and I think your squad is going to need to push you over because you're not getting as many goals and creating as many chances as you were maybe this this time last season. Um, but people like Smith Rowe need to step up, uh, be given an opportunity. He's someone that can progress your play that Habits doesn't. He's a different type of player that can play there. Um, Trossard as well, maybe giving him you know a run out. Um, but I do think that Jesus, as much as you want him to, I don't see him being that 15, 20 goal you know, league striker, um, he, he'll get that across, you know, all competitions, no doubt. Um, and in Ketia as well, against the weaker teams, you know, he, he'll do well, but he's not really the decision maker, you know, against the top top six, top eight teams. Um, so in terms of recruitment, finding good quality um, for the right amount of money in January is notoriously difficult. So I think you guys are going to have to look in-house. Um, and just try and see different ways of playing that can get you that can get you over the line and get you get you different types of goals. Um, and I think there's there's always that potential issue of Saka being burnt out and no one really 
able to replace him and give him, you know, two couple of games out to to kind of recuperate. Um, Nelson has flattered to, to deceive at times. He's he's done well in patches over his Arsenal career, but again, if he was starting for two three games on the bounce, you would definitely see a massive drop off for 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 Arsenal. So. Um, I think there's that that is something that Arteta needs to need to work on because once you get your defensive uh, reinforcements back, um, you're already hard to beat. I think that's all good, but you're not killing off teams. Yeah, uh, I think Havertz is suspended after five yellow cards uh, in the big match against West Ham tomorrow. So be, that'll be an opportunity to try something different. I, I'm, I bet the Trossard will slot in there, especially at home, mm-hmm. but. There are games when I would play Trossard up front and play Gabriel Jesus on one of the wings if somebody needs to be rotated. Mm. I think Martinelli could use a rotation right now. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the manager, as much as I have gripes with him, the one I always say is that Trossard should get many more minutes than he does. But as much as I have the gripes, I mean, you can't argue with his record no. over the last two seasons. So we'll see how they do. There's a couple great matches. Arsenal-West Ham, mm-hmm. Tottenham and Brighton are playing. Yep. Thursday, and then some potentially spicy ones this season that we can cover uh, uh, on the next edition of Match Report this weekend. Yeah, um, and just touching on the Brighton game, I've just seen that Romero's out for four to five weeks, so that's another um, injury um, issue for them in the back. So it could be a slip-up there. Um, Brighton on the day can be anyone. Um, I think uh, a similar issue uh, Arsenal could have defensively because Kudu's he makes those runs. He's he's you know effective and he's he's always a threat on either side. Paqueta can pick out a pass um, from you know anywhere in that final third. Um, I think defensively they they can be got out very easily as well. So I do still expect an Arsenal win, but it's one of those games that you know if you have you know that that ten minute lag or you know you're just not on out in the races straight away, it could be a slip up. Um, and then we've also got you know City, Everton later as well. Um, could be, could be another slip up. There's there's a couple potential you know banana slips coming up over the next uh, few days. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, Chelsea as well against Luton. I wouldn't be surprised with uh, with a Luton in there. Yeah, the parity of the league is great this season, especially in the top half. So it'll be fun. I, I think West Ham, Aston Villa, and Brighton are the European challengers, yeah. I think. I think they'll be in and around fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe seventh. Mm-hmm. Spurs are in there, but, you know, I I have big questions about Spurs, even though they've played great stuff. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see. Have we'll to see, see uh, over the next couple of days. It's it's a wonderful time of year. Lots of football to watch and talk about. So exactly. we'll be back in just a few days for another edition. All right, man. I'll speak to you soon.